We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Go-To Pacers Podcast, Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Gold, and I'm joined today by Michael Fachi. You know, Fachi, coming off a great win against the Cavaliers. The Hornets were in town, thinking the Pacers are going to get a winning streak going, and uh, a dagger to the chest, 125-124 loss. Had the ball with 16 seconds left on the clock. Didn't even get a shot off. Initial reactions to that game. The highs and lows of sports, man, just like you mentioned, coming off that Cleveland win, I mean, it could not be riding any higher. Then after that loss to Charlotte, it was it was really disappointing because the Pacers had opportunities. I mean, this was it was a really, really good game, but this was a game that the Pacers had an unbelievable third quarter, but then you think you know, they have it, then they fall behind, to then it's just you couldn't count them out. They had countless chances, but uncharacteristic turnovers from Tyrese Halliburton, who was absolutely brilliant. Have to throw that in there. Despite the turnovers that happened, it's like Tyrese played an unbelievable game. There was a missed free throw from Buddy Heal that could have tied it. There was was just bad, bad play overall. This was a game that got away from the Pacers. And uh, I don't want to say they overlooked the Hornets because they were on a back-to-back, but just a disappointing loss overall. Yeah, and I think one thing to keep in mind, too, is Charlotte had lost three games in a row, and they were in Indiana practicing on Friday. I think they maybe got in Thursday and then spent the night practice Friday, and then they were there for Saturday's game. So they were there for a couple of nights and were able to kind of get themselves situated and ready for this game. So, you know, Rick Carlisle alluded to that. He said, this is going to be a tough game. Charlotte's a good team, and I think people kind of overlook Charlotte just because they don't have any yeah. star players on the roster. Yeah, LaMelo Ball was a former All-Star. They've got 
Brandon Miller, the second overall pick, but at Charlotte, they're a smaller market. And I think nobody had real expectations for this team heading into the season. So yeah, they, they're an interesting group. I will say that they've got some length on them. They've got some veteran experience with a Gordon Hayward and, and Terry Rozier, but it was one of those games, like you said, it was just uncharacteristic of the Pacers. Like you got to go back to that second quarter when nothing was working for the Pacers. They had 13 points on made baskets in that quarter and six came from the free throw line. So they had 19 points that quarter, which is a low scoring quarter for the Pacers, but they were only able to get one three in that quarter and then five two point field goals. So I thought that really did kind of shift things. They were only down by eight going into the half. And I thought, okay, Maybe they can weather this storm. And then Tyrese comes out, like you said, and drops 25 points and has six assists in the third quarter, getting his total up to 20 or 38 points for the night at this point. And it felt like the Pacers were going to ride this one out into the sunset after Tyrese just had a magnificent game. I kept waiting for Tyrese to come back in on the fourth and drop a career high. But I thought Charlotte did a really good job of denying him the basketball, forcing the ball out of his hands and making other guys beat a, uh, beat them. And that's, Ultimately, what happened is that just you take away Tyrese and who is this team? No, it's, it's a fantastic point. I mean, I know you went through a little bit of the Pacers shot 33.3% in the first half. Yeah. I mean, it, it was abysmal. It, it was really rough. And then when you mentioned it before, that third quarter, to put things in perspective, they dropped 50 points. Alex, they do it on 81% shooting. They went 17 of 21 from the field, 12 of 15 from the Three, which tied an NBA record for three-pointers in a quarter. Halliburton had six made threes in that uh, third quarter alone. Everything was going the, the, the right way. But yeah, like you mentioned, Halliburton ends up finishing the game with just five points in the fourth quarter. And you can't really knock him because, look, he finished the game with 43-12. and 12. He became the first pacer to ever drop 40-10 and 10 assists in franchise history. So it was an awesome performance, but Charlotte stepped up when it mattered most. And and that's the thing for the Pacers is they really didn't bring their A game in that fourth quarter. Charlotte outscores them by five. Pacers let up 33 points in that fourth quarter. Honestly, Mark Williams was really big in this game. And I want to tell you a big part of the difference in this game because the Pacers, like we mentioned, really had it going on from three-point land. They actually outscored Charlotte by 42 points from three. But they were heavily outscored in the in the paint, seventy four to forty. So it's like these teams are playing two totally different styles of basketball. And in the end, Charlotte squeaks one out for Halliburton. Because I think a big part that we could we could touch on is he finished the game with three turnovers, which is not a lot at all. If anyone has three turnovers, okay, yeah, whatever. He had twelve assists, but it was so uncharacteristic that two of the three turnovers came in pivotal spots, one kind of rushing an inbound pass that felt like it was a little bit low at Miles Turner's legs. And then obviously to close out the game, the one-on-one that, that's been featured everywhere between LaMelo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton. and Alex, I thought you did a great breakdown on Twitter. If you want to get into some of the specifics on that last possession. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously there's 15 seconds left on the shot clock or on the clock on the game clock. And Tyrese comes down the court, and it's like he's waving for a pick. And if you were, you know, I was at the game, so I was able to see it from the 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 full court vantage point. And it looked like the guys were kind of confused on who was going to come set the screen and what they wanted to do. 
I think they were looking at maybe Bruce Brown setting the screen, but Brandon Miller was kind of playing off. And one thing that I asked Coach Carlisle in the postgame press conference was how did you know how did Charlotte end up adjusting defensively against Tyrese after that big third quarter? And he said, Well, they trapped him every time he came across half court. So this time Charlotte decides not to trap him. And I think had they done some kind of pick and roll thing with Turner, with Bruce Brown, with whoever, that Charlotte was going to trap Tyrese and get the ball out of his hand. So I think that's why the person did not come up and set the screen was because they wanted Tyrese to create on his own, which we've seen him do that time and time again. However, on this play, he tries to cross over LaMelo Ball. And on the first initial crossover, you can tell it's very close. You got to watch it in slow motion. As he's crossing over, the ball does hit the front of his left leg. Now, at the same time, like right after that, you can see LaMelo did make some contact with Tyrese's arm. So there definitely could have been a foul called there if they really were going to be, you know, tic-tac-y officiating-wise, but they didn't. So this just lodged the ball um, from Tyrese's hands, and then he had to recover to try to get it. And by the time he tried to recover, LaMelo's long wingspan was able to knock the ball away as time expired. So I, I one, thought Tyrese waited a little bit too long to get into that shot. I think there was about four seconds left when he first started to make that move. Mm -hmm. And with 15 seconds left and you're down by one, I think you got to start attacking around the eight second point. That way, if you do miss, you give yourself a chance to maybe get an offensive rebound or to foul only down by one call timeout and advance the basketball. Maybe you try to set a play to get a three to tie the game. If for some reason, Charlotte goes down and makes two for two. So I just thought, unfortunately it was bad game management and, you know, Rick Carlisle and Tyrese both said there was talk before this play happened to not call a timeout. We've seen Rick do this previously with the Pacers, and we've seen Tyrese have big moments where there has been no timeout called. If you go back oh, yeah. and look at what Funny. he did against Chicago last year on the road and Miami on the road. So it's not like this is unfamiliar territory for Tyrese to be in these situations. He just happened not to be on the successful side of things for this game. And I, and I think we always get caught up in like, oh, man, he didn't have a game winner, so he's not an All-NBA player. Look, All-NBA players don't always make the right play, and sometimes they just are on the bad end of the, the way the outcome ends up happening. So overall, I would say relax. It's game six. It's a tough break, but learn from it and grow from it because we know Tyrese loves to play basketball. We know that he loves to be uh, – he's more of a perfectionist with his game. This is not going to settle well with Tyrese. I think he's going to come out in one of the next games and, and really prove, okay, I've got to get things back on track. I tweeted it out, and obviously some people who are just fresh off of the loss were like, you got to stop defending this team, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. Tyrese Halliburton worked so hard that I felt that in the unfortunate instance of, of him having that turnover with the game on, he, he really – takes this seriously to be the leader on this team, mm -hmm. to get stripped but also have two turnovers, you could see the facial expression. After that first turnover, you know, the one that was a little bit low of a pass to, to Miles Turner, it felt like Halliburton it looked like he was sick on the sideline to be like, that's my bad, like I, I rushed that, you know, whatever. He, he knew that. Then when he got stripped by LaMelo, he immediately left the court and you could just tell that one hurt. And I really do think and this is not just saying that, that Tyrese is going to come out of this situation a better player 
who is now more aware when the game matters more, uh, most because I just feel that he takes it that seriously. Whatever it is that he's working on, he gets better at it. And I just think that in this instance, hey, guys, I know it's a loss now, but eventually this will be something that turns into him making an even better play down the line. Had an unbelievable game. You don't drop, you don't become the first pacer to ever drop 40 and 10 plus assists and then say Tyrese lost us the game. We're not even in that game unless he goes absolutely bananas. So Tyrese carried us. We saw him hit countless shots over the past week. Not every time in crunch time are we going to be able to hit that game winning shot. In this instance, we had numerous opportunities. I mean, I want to give a quick shout-out before to, to Buddy Heald. Although he missed that free throw that would have tied it up on that N one, ends up getting a strip to the, to the point where it ha- gives the Pacers another chance. Yeah. There was so many different things here and there, but in the end, there was a couple calls. You don't want to blame it on a ref. You don't want to blame it on one play. The, the bottom line is the Pacers didn't get it done against Charlotte. Yeah, and I think you even go you can go back to under the three minute mark when Aaron Neesmith went one of two on the. I wanted line. to, I didn't want yeah. to rant too long, but please take it from here, Alex, because yeah. I'm still not over that call. Yeah, so there's a couple of things here, but Aaron Neesmith ended up getting fouled, and he went one of two from the free throw line in the third quarter or in the fourth quarter, excuse me. And I thought I think that made it like one twenty three to I can't remember it was one twenty one to one twenty something like that I can't remember but he had a chance to tie it up it was one twenty one to one nineteen when he got fouled he went one of two ended up making it I I might be wrong on the score there but regardless he had a chance to tie it up at one point I can't remember if it was one twenty one or one twenty three then Buddy healed like you said had a play where he got the layup Charlotte challenged it the they. Failed on the challenge because it was a blocking foul. And then Buddy Hill missed the free throw. So they had two missed free throws there. But if you go back before the two-minute mark, um, probably around like the three- to four-minute mark, this Brandon Miller bull mm-hmm. rushes, like lowers his shoulder. Ridiculous. Through Aaron Neesmith, trying to basically stay with Tyrese Halliburton. The officials go and review it. And they come back and not only say that it was a common foul, he was making a basketball play. They also give Aaron Neesmith a technical foul for reacting and retaliating not to a certain degree for that. Now, look, we asked Rick Carlisle in the postgame press conference about that, and he said, categorically, I didn't agree with their reasoning for why they gave him a technical foul. He said, but, you know, I'm not going to lose $50,000 on this because it's not worth it. I totally understand him not wanting to knock the officiating because look officiating aside we should have won this game but that's three critical moments right there that's three critical points right there look if they don't call the technical on Aaron Neesmith and they call a flagrant foul on Brandon Miller that's a three-point swing yeah in a close game when you lose by one point that that is very impactful so in the moment I'm like okay you got to move on but when you look at it in retrospect yeah, that's a big miss by the NBA, and I don't think that they're going to go back and say they made the wrong call. It wasn't part of the uh, the last two-minute report. Two-minute review, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things you got to deal with. It. There's bad calls both ways all the time in the NBA. I thought against the Cavaliers, you know, there were some travels the Pacers got away with, and maybe it was just the blue court was harder for the officials to see it on. But overall, I just felt like this game against Charlotte, there was some bad officiating in, in favor of the Hornets getting more of the advantage. 
But look, Charlotte, 23 of 23 from the free throw line. Your Pacers just 12 of 16. The Pacers missed some clutch free throws that would have changed this game. And Charlotte didn't miss any. So it's a game of inches sometimes like they talk about in football. In basketball, it's a game of possessions. And just one turnover, one simple possession goes a different way. Pacers win this game. And that's what makes it so frustrating is just the fashion in which they lost. Not that they lost to Charlotte, but in the fashion they lost to them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of great points there. I just, to this day, I've never seen anything like, you know, Neesmith walking away with a technical and what could have been a flagrant foul. Just like you talked about, my, my wife was sitting next to me. She explained to me, I, I don't understand. I was like, babe, I don't, don't understand. I've never seen anything like this before. And yeah, you don't want to blame it on one call. But the fact that you pointed out that Charlotte was a perfect 23 of 23 for the free throw line just shows this margin of error, it's so small in the NBA. And you know what? The Pacers had games against Chicago that they should have won, games against Charlotte that they should have won. Mm-hmm. It shows that this team, on any night, maybe to an extent could beat anyone, and maybe not the Bostons uh, of the world. But I think with Tyrese Halliburton, you, you have a chance any night. And I think that this was a, a chance that they, uh, they let slip away against Charlotte. I, I think that the Pacers... They live and die by the three in this game. It worked out. But how many times are they going to shoot 22 of 45 from three? Yeah. That, that is not something that you can count on. I mean, that that's it's historic shooting right there. So th- this is frustrating because I know, uh, just on a side note, you know, LaMelo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton have been compared. 
They're from the same draft class. That's something that we've seen a lot of on uh, um, you know, on Twitter. And from a matchup standpoint, look, Halliburton definitely got the better of LaMelo. When yeah. it mattered most, unfortunately, LaMelo got Halliburton. And I think that while we shouldn't think of Charlotte beneath us, we do. We do feel that the Pacers are a better team than the Charlotte Hornets. And unfortunately, that did not show over the weekend. And all we can do is is get ready for San Antonio. Yeah, it's it's an 82-game season. You can't dwell on one game and be like, oh, well, if we would have won this, well, here's the thing. You're going to win games you probably shouldn't have. Beating Cleveland twice yeah, well, was not definitely. something that anybody expected happening. So the fact yes. that you – yeah, like I said, beat them twice. Yeah. So when oh, you yeah. beat Cleveland twice, you know, that's pretty good because they're a top-four team in the Eastern Conference last year. So you got to figure out the balance of the good and the bad and when to react and when to overreact. And I will say this. I'm curious your thoughts as we kind of close this out. Yeah. Tyrese Halliburton really took over in that third quarter. And we needed that yeah. from him, like you said. We needed it from him. Nobody else was really going. No one. Does Tyrese need to start being more assertive in the first half to really establish himself and focus more on being a score-first point guard and not so much of a pass-first point guard that turns on the scoring when he needs to? I, I hear you, and it, it would be beneficial, but I feel like this is who he is. He is a pass first. Get your teammates going. Get get them in a rhythm and have that confidence for them. That, that's always who he's been. You know, Dustin DePierre talked about when he was on here about his article about how Halliburton always took pride getting his teammates going early, yeah. and, and I think that that's just kind of who he is. But we know he's very capable of dropping – 30 to 40 points if he really wants to and really, you know, is being aggressive out there. I don't think he's going to turn into being this overly aggressive player, but I think he can turn it up a notch because we have seen Halliburton in the first halves so far at five, 10 points, you know, any, anything like that. But it, sometimes his Pacers team, yeah, he we might need him to turn it on a little bit earlier because, you know, 25 of the 43 came in that third quarter. That's, uh, you know, that's a lot for one quarter. Yeah, and I'll just say this. I think he needs to be more assertive, in my personal opinion, only because you talked about it. Like, there's not a guy right now that's really separated himself from the pack as the number two option for this team. No. It's it, it's one night it's Miles Turner, one night it's Aaron Neesmith, one night it's Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown, yeah. Yeah, who, who is going to separate themselves as the number two option? Look, we all hoped it would be Ben Matherin, but right now Ben Matherin's in a bit of a slump. And it feels like he's still trying to figure out where he belongs. And I want to talk about him a little so bit later in the season. I don't want to jump into too many hot takes right now as we're just Either six one. games in. But I do think it's something to monitor to see how he evolves in his role or if he doesn't evolve and what ways they could change it. Now, I will say this. I don't know if you um, read the article yet I put out or not, but I mentioned that maybe running Ben Matherin with the bench unit and having him kind of be the first sub out of the game, putting Buddy in for him, and then letting Ben kind of run with the second unit, I think that could help for two reasons. One, I think that it would help Ben get back more in the role he had last year, going up against second unit talent, and be more of a focal point offensively, where Tyrese can be the focal point offensively for the first unit. And then I also think it allows Buddy more time to play with Tyrese, where that's where his bread and butter is. Like he is a beneficiary of Tyrese's play and they have great synergy together. So I think if you can get more minutes with Buddy and Ty and have been kind of 
start, reward him for being, you know, rookie, all rookie first team last year and like a promising piece of your future, but giving him more responsibility to kind of lead the second unit with Nimhard, someone he played a lot with last year, Neesmith, Jalen, and Buddy, I think that could be something to keep an eye on moving forward as they try to tinker with rotations to find the perfect mix because right now I haven't loved the bench unit with Bruce Brown. I don't feel like there's enough offensive creation, no. and I feel like with Ben out there, that would allow him to do more with the ball in his hands and not just be kind of trying to figure out where he can get his looks at with the starting five. Yeah, it, it just it feels like he's being lost in the shuffle a little bit as that you know, we'll call him the, the fourth starter. You know, I feel like OB is most definitely the fifth. Yeah. Um, but for right now, for Matherin, it's just, if I told you that, hey, this early in the year, he'd be averaging 11.2 points per game and sub 40% shooting. I mean, you, you'd think, wow, we, we got to do something about that. Yeah. Because expectations were high. And there are some things that he's done well, specifically distributing the rock. I mean, he's already had three games of, of five assists. That's more than he had all of last year. But we don't need one of our best scorers to be another distributor. So we needed him to kind of tiptoe that line to be like a little bit more of looking for teammates, but also not losing that aggressive hunger. And in two of the last three games, he's had seven or less shots. So, I mean, that's that. I mean, it's, it's a seven shots, seven shots and 11 shots. Yeah. Seven shots is not enough for Benedict Matherin. I understand against Boston, that was a, a lost game, but you know, seven shots. He should have been shooting he, a lot more in that Boston game without Tyrese. Absolutely. I mean, in, in that game, you would think that, hey, look, go out there and, and be aggressive. He played 15 minutes, got up seven shots. Eh, I, I feel like we got to find a way for him to be able to, you know, with confidence, go out there and be aggressive. Because when he's not aggressive, he's not getting to the free throw line. And in his last uh, three games, he has five free throw attempts. He's two of five for the free throw line in that span. I just feel like we got to get him in a rhythm. And I do think that you know, maybe starting, we don't want to say could be very, very important to him, but I do think that he could be more important to this team, potentially off the bench, but we don't want to overreact. It's six games in, but we know this is a very special talent that we're dealing with that we need to be able to get him to reach his full potential. I don't really think he needs to go to the bench yet. I think that it's way Not too yet. early for that. That's why I said maybe tinker with the adjustments or the the rotations, excuse me, adjust the rotations. That way he's getting quality time with the ball in his hands, but in a different role. Because I think sometimes right now Ben is really overthinking it as a player. He's trying to grow as a, as a passer. And I think, you know, we talked about it in the Cavs game recap where he could have had a layup on one of those plays, but he ends up trying to oh, throw yeah. it to Miles and the ball went out of bounds. And it's like, what What are you doing? You know, that's one of those plays where you have to just take that shot. And I think he's thinking about it too much. He, he's not it's playing unfit. free. And that's mm-hmm. what he did last year. He came in, you're our scorer off the bench, do what's best for our team. Now it's like, okay, guard one of the better players on their team every time. Be a facilitator, you know, score when it's the right time. Wait for Tyrese to set you up. Now it's just totally different. So as he's adjusting, I think the, the the coaching staff needs to maybe find a different rotation that allows him some more opportunities to be on ball, focal point of the offense, and, and not so stuck trying to figure out, oh, am I going to be in the corner? What's Ty doing this possession? You know, they, they got to figure out their chemistry together. 
But while they're trying, trying to figure that out, allow him opportunities to not always be on the court with Tyrese at the same time. It's just funny because the Pacers are three and three. And there's a scenario where, you know, maybe you could say five and one or four and two. They could have been whatever. That's good. That's good for a team that that just come off winning 35 games. So yeah. things are not broken. Like before I even knew it, I was just like, oh, well, maybe eventually he comes off the bench. It's like, no, no, look, look, let's pump the brakes. No, no. Just need to come off the bench. I think that probably be the worst thing that could happen right now in a season to say that we're winning some games. And now we're going to move into the bench. I, I think that would not be good. But for now, I think just the only thing we could really do is give him time, stagger his minutes with some different players. This is when you do that experimenting because there is, is still near 75 games left on the season. It's yeah. like there's 76 games left. It's like, let's guys are going to get into a rhythm right now. He's not in a rhythm. And you know what? The Pacers honestly haven't suffered from it. Could they have used him more against Charlotte? Absolutely. Could they have used him, you know, a bit more against, against Chicago? Yeah. He had 15 points. It was on four of 11 shooting. So there are opportunities there where if he is more aggressive, the team will benefit. But for right now, it's not like this is a one in five Pacers team that we're talking about by any means. This is a 500 team that still needs to learn how to play with each other. Some nights it's looked great. Some nights it's been a little bit underwhelming or, you know, rather disappointing. However, you want to chalk it up to say games that you didn't live up to your potential. But Matherin is someone that, yeah, we, we do expect more because he is that talented. But I do feel confident that he will give us more because you can make an argument right now. It's like if I told you he was averaging 11 points per game, but the Pacers were a 500 team, you'd be like, all right, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, I would say assessment wise, you need to wait till about 25 percent of the regular season games have been yes. played before you're having any hot takes. So that's where I'm at right now. We're six games in. Pump the brakes if you're upset. Like you said, we could be five and one based on how. Things played out against Chicago and Charlotte. You know, obviously Boston's the one outlier where you're going to lose that game. Yeah. But the Pacers have really, if they haven't won, they've been in every game they've lost besides the Boston game. So you feel good about that. You feel like this team's heading in the right direction. And don't hit the panic button yet. Just relax. Just relax. I think that's the best way to kind of sum up this podcast recap of a tough 125-124 loss to the Charlotte Hornets, a team, like you said, that we view as worse than us. We do. I think league-wide, everybody else does too. So we are not being homers by saying this, but you got to feel for Charlotte fans because I'm sure they feel very much like we do as Pacer fans, feeling like we get kind of discounted. We get little credit. We don't get as much attention as we necessarily need. And I don't care about the LaMelo ball, Tyrese Halliburton stuff. Like, I don't care if LaMelo ball has one great defensive play in the game. If Tyrese Halliburton scores 43 points to whatever he had, come on. You know, we might be talking about one play, but we're talking about an entire game from Tyrese Halliburton. So I'm not worried about that. But Fachi, nothing else for me to say on this game. Just a tough loss. Bounce back. Spurs on Monday. The only thing I would say. Spurs on Monday. Look, we're we're, we're going to move on from here. Because here's the thing. Here's the difference. This podcast would be 110% different if we just finish out that game and we win. We would be riding so high right now saying, like, oh, my God, warn everyone in the East. We're coming. But you know what? I don't know if I'd be doing that. I would be doing it. But here's the thing. We didn't win. 
So you know what? There's going to be moments, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, where we beat a team that we did not expect to, to beat. There will be times that we lose to a team that we did expect to beat. That's what comes with, you know, just playing the right basketball at the right time. Right now, we're still trying to figure that out. Good news, there's a lot of time left. Bring on the Spurs. I'm excited about it. Wembenyama doing some special things. Well, you know what? Hey, the Pacers, anytime they play a guy like Victor, there's going to be even more people watching them than normal. So bring the eyes on us. Let's get a win. And, uh, hey, let's, let's move on to above 500. I love it, Pachi. Go ahead and tell the people now where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at PacersPodSTP. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersPodSTP. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Yeah, you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast, where you can find all of our post-game recap videos on there. We're giving you two episodes on Sunday night for the weekend games because we could not record after the Cavaliers win and the Hornets lost. So those will be recorded on Sundays for those Friday, Saturday games moving forward. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're ready to get back over 500 and get a victory over the San Antonio Spurs, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop, smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.